Hey guys, this is David. We wanted to let you know about an exciting opportunity we don't want you to miss out on. We are hosting our annual Awaken Conference Labor Day weekend in Dallas, Texas. Join 4,000 other young adults from all over the country and world to be a part of seeing an awakening of the hope of the world, which is the church of Jesus in our generation. Go to theporch.live to get a ticket before they sell out. Hope to see you at Awaken 2022. our friends tuning in our Porch Live locations. If you didn't know this, we have Porch Live satellite locations all over the country. And tonight, help me welcome Porch Live Scottsdale, Porch Live Greater Lafayette, and Porch Live Des Moines, Iowa. Let's give it up from Dallas to our friends watching online. Of course, my friends in the room, so glad you guys are here. We are in our fourth week of our series, Anti-Suppressants, where we are addressing the things that we have been shoving down deep, deep, deep. And just right off the bat, here's where we're heading tonight. Tonight, we're talking about no longer suppressing insecurity. No longer suppressing our insecurities. And so we about to all be in each other's business. And so this message actually made me really insecure. And so I'll just start off with the bat. But you know what else made me insecure? Uh, I have, you know, being up here, you know, usually every week, just as a weekly opportunity for me to make sure I really understand where my security comes from. And I usually do okay at it. I'm learning, I'm getting better, but uh, situations like a couple of weeks ago happened just unexpectedly. A friend asked me to send him my last talk. I went to YouTube, I clicked the link. I usually keep myself from going and reading any comments, but every now and then YouTube displays that one comment. And I was like, and I read it. And here's what it said. JD Rogers, first off, Put some respect on my name. There's a D in that last name. You dress like a clown. You preach like a clown. No fear the Lord in you at all, but there's still time to repent and hallow the name of Jesus alone. Reformed one, I just wanna say thank you for your feedback. Um, I apparently did not listen with these pants. Um, I get it. I was like, you know what? I went and looked at photos. I was like, I kind of do dress like a clown, but hopefully, I don't preach like a crowd. Uh, second time, going back and further and further on my insecurities of JD. Uh, in college, my first crush, I'm a freshman, I'm in the band, so I'm really cool. And I decided that my first, hey, it was drumline though, okay, I will say. Um, yeah, I wore the bandana and all that. But my first crush, I decided to just aim high and she was like the it Christian girl athlete on the volleyball team. And she was just kind of the known like Christian girl on campus. And I was like, might as well shoot my shot. And so I'm like texting her, you know, trying to like make my way in. And her friend, this girl is probably like an Enneagram two, I would say, but her friend was an Enneagram eight. And so one day she just walked up to me and she's like, hey buddy, come here, come here. And she's like, I'm just gonna let you know because she won't. Um, she probably will never, I mean, let me just go, she will never date a guy who's under six foot and not an athlete. And I know, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously healed from it, but I remember in that moment being like, well, dang, 
I don't think I can ever like, maybe cowboy boots, I don't think I'm gonna be able to fix this. So what do I, how do I deal with this now insecurity in my heart? Let's go back even further, a preteen JD. So I grew up in the country, small town, East Texas, yee yee stuff all the time. I know, it's hard to believe. And the 903, Beast Texas. And so in my hometown, it was so country, and this is like in the 21st century. If someone's barn were to like have like in a storm, like a big limb fall on it or, if it, or somehow to burn down, like people from our church locally would come and like have a day dedicated to rebuild a barn. And it was like a whole thing. The women would cook and the men would be building. And I'm sure some women helped, by the way, okay? Um, <laughs> but um, from the country. And so I remember wanting to immediately, I don't know what instinctively gave me this desire, but I remember in this moment as a preteen boy, I wanted to prove that I was worthy of being a man around all these older men. And I remember there was this moment where, I guess it was the rite of passage looking back now, but my dad was like, hey, JD, go to the old barn and get a board stretcher. We need it for this project. Go get a board stretcher. And so I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what a board stretcher is, but like, I can't let them know that because that'll make me less of a man. And so I like, you know, go across the yard. I'm running over to the old barn and I'm just like, okay, uh, process of elimination, that's a shovel, that's a hoe, that's a hammer. I don't know what that is. This must be a board stretcher. And so I grab it and I come out and I'm like, dad, is this it? And he's like, yeah. And so I'm like, yes, I did it. And so I'm running across and I go to give him this tool and everyone just starts laughing. And my dad, I mean, people are hitting their knees, like on their back, like slow motion, like ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, young me is like looking around like, no. And everyone is like, there's no such thing as a board stretcher. And I remember my chin started to quiver. I know. And my dad was like, uh-oh. And I ran away and I was sitting alone. And in that moment, as a young boy, I thought to myself, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get out of this town. If this is what being a country man is about, knowing things and doing things, things that just weren't natural to me for whatever reason, but if this is what it takes and this is how they are, I want nothing to do with it. And at a young age, what was just a funny moment for whatever reason stuck in my mind and then it took root in my heart and for the rest of my junior high and high school and the college years, I worked and worked and worked because my parents didn't go to college. I didn't have a fund waiting for me. People from my town don't usually get out. It's one of those places. But I was like, I will do whatever it takes. And you know what that created? It created something in me that I didn't get to enjoy things out of a place of security and just being JD. No, it was all birthed out of insecurity to prove something, which created an exhausted young man. And I think if right now I say, hey, do you struggle with insecurities? There might be some of you who would say, no, I'm a pretty confident person. But the reality is we don't even realize until we're really talking about it and doing a deep dive, we don't realize how much of our lives are just riddled with insecurity. I mean, think about all the times, like think about why you select that photo. You took 10 photos. Why did you pick that one? Because there was something that you saw that you liked better about yourself or how you were standing, or how you looked. You didn't look at your friends, boom, you looked at you. And that was the one you picked. Forget your friends. 
Your Instagram's for you. You're trying to get chose. Or think about when you're about to speak up in a work meeting, there's some of you that you can barely speak. Some of you might have never spoken up in a work meeting, but you're just thinking and thinking and thinking and you wanna make sure it's so profound and so calculated and you wanna make sure that you sound really smart and like you're worthy to be, have a seat at the table because you're insecure about your competency. Or maybe your finances. Somehow, you know, your friends are hanging out, your coworkers at happy hour, your salaries come up. They're like, what do you make? What do you make? What do you make? And you're like, over or under 50? And you're like, over. And they're like, well, how much? Just, bro, you can tell me and I'll tell you. And you know you add the numbers up some because you're like, I wanna look like I'm making a little more bank than this. But it's because you're insecure. You don't think it's enough and you think that is what points to who you are. I mean, the amount of times we look in a mirror a day, when you're in your car before you get out, you're looking in your phone, selfie camera, making sure nothing's in your teeth because you're going, whenever I walk into this building, I'm not thinking about who I am, I'm thinking about who I am through their eyes because I just want to find security. So much of who we are is riddled by insecurity. Maybe your mom at a young age made a comment about your weight and you have thought about what you eat and how much you work out and it's not just because you wanna be healthy and you wanna live and steward your body like God calls you to, but it's because you don't want to feel overweight and it's birthed from that thing your mom or that guy said about you or maybe because your dad only acknowledged you when you were succeeding growing up. Everything now is about climbing the corporate ladder because you're insecure about what if you fail. Tonight, last week, the last time I taught, I talked about David, King David, his greatest failure. I love King David. Talked about his greatest failure and tonight I hope to redeem him because we're gonna talk about a familiar story where we highlight one of his greatest moments in history of being a king. It's David versus Goliath. And a lot of you might know this story from your childhood. You might know about the slingshot and all that stuff with the giant, but I actually want to talk about the path to David's purpose in that moment because the path to get to that battle and that victory in that moment was riddled with opportunity after opportunity for potential security, insecurity. But what we see and what I want us to model out of David in his young adult years, I mean, this was a man that we're gonna see was very secure, but he wasn't secure in himself. That's the main thing I want. If you're gonna write down anything tonight in your phone or in your journal, write down this. The objective of tonight's message is this. This message is to intend to show us who we are in light of who God is. Tonight, we're gonna see who we are in light of who God is. Because I think a lot of times when you talk about insecurity, what the world's gonna feed you is who you are and stop there. Hey, you know, you're beautiful. Hey, no, you're this. Hey, no, you're that. And sure, it feels good for about 10 minutes and then you lay down at night alone and boom, all the anxieties and insecurities are back. And so that's why it's really important that you hear me say tonight, we're hitting who you are in light of who God is. Because who you are by yourself, you will remain riddled with insecurity. But if you see yourself in light of who God is, it can change everything for your life like it did David's. Like it did David's. 
And so, if you will, if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and as you head there, I want to go ahead and just, this is a very long chapter, so we're not gonna read it all, so I need you guys really dialed in, really focused in, and I know you think, I already know this story, I really think you might not have seen it from this perspective, so lock in with me. Anytime we're reading or we're talking about the storyline, it's really important that you track with me. So here's what we see. Saul, tall, dark, and handsome, He's elected king by the people of Israel. Think the most, the coolest guy in high school, the quarterback, the jock. He had everything going on for him. That's who's king right now. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Saul is really upsetting the Lord. And so God tells Samuel to go and anoint a new king. And he says to go to the house of Jesse. And so he goes to Jesse's house and he says, bring me all your sons. And so Jesse brings all of his sons, oldest to the youngest, and God says to Samuel, hey, don't look on the outside appearance like man does. I look at the heart. I wanna pick someone who's a man after my own heart. So he goes through all the sons, and basically God's like, nope, not him, not him, not him, not him. And then Samuel goes, are you sure all of your sons are here? And like the run of the bunch, Jesse's like, oh yeah, I do have one son, but he's like this short, Youngest kid named David, he's probably out like running around frolicking with the sheeps. I don't think he's your guy. And he's like, call him. And so he brings David, he says he was kind of short, ruddy, but he was handsome. He did have that going for him. And so he brings him up and God says, this is him. So now he's anointed king, but this is important. Although he was anointed and promised to one day be king, he was not yet king. There was a calling and a mantle on his life, but just because there was a calling does not mean there was not a path that still had to be taken to prepare him to get to that calling. There was an anointing placed on him, but there was still preparation to be done. And so he goes back to shepherding the sheep. And there he is, and there's this, you go to this other scene now in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and picture this, there's like, the big bad army known as the Philistines, some say Philistines, I'm gonna say Steens because I'm from East Texas. The Philistines are on this side, then there's a valley, and then the Israelite army is on this side. And for 40 days, this giant known as Goliath would come down and the acoustics of the valley would make his voice echo up to the Israelites and he would say, here's the deal I'm willing to propose. You can send down one soldier in gladiator style. We will fight till the death. If he beats me, the Philistines will be a slave to Israel. If I beat him, you will be a slave to us. And it says that the Israelites, no one was willing to go down and fight him. Everyone shook in terror and fear. They were in secure. And one day, just a normal day, David's in the fields and he had no idea. He woke up just okay with being a shepherd boy. He had no idea he was about to be sent to be a soldier on the front line of God's battle. And his dad calls him in and he says, hey son, I want you to go. I want you to take this charcuterie board of meat and cheese to the, the soldiers. They're probably hungry. It's snack time. Take them a lunchable. I want you to pack it up, go get a report, tell me how your brothers are doing. So David's like, okay. He leaves the sheep with someone else to watch them and he heads to the battle. He's there, he's working his way through, looking for his brothers. He starts to pass out some food. People are, you know, all the soldiers are grabbing it and he's like trying to find his brothers. And as he's there, 
he hears the same taunt from Goliath that's been going on for 40 days. Send someone down to fight me. If I win, we take Israel. If you win, you can have us, the Philistines. And this is what happens. 1 Samuel 17, 22. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. So immediately what we see is in this opportunity where David is met with an enemy who is taunting his God, where everyone else has bowed down in insecurity and has been frightened, David immediately has a different response. He immediately is like, who does this guy think he is that he thinks that he can stand up and defy the people of God? What gave him that kind of security? A little shepherd boy, how can he suddenly go to this place? How can he be so confident? How can he walk in his purpose and his calling without any experience? That's what we're gonna see. We're gonna learn from this story in David's life how to fight your insecurities. How to fight your insecurities. The reason why I want us to really know how to identify and fight insecurities is because I believe as the people of God, there are gonna be only more and more opportunities for us to walk in our purpose and our calling as children of light in a dark world. But we are promised in John chapter 16, verse 33, that in this world, and I don't have to convince you, you see that in this world, you will have trouble. You will have people who disagree. You will have people who fight, who rage on social media, who are looking for what you have to say in your workplace. In this world, it says you will have trouble. You will. And any time a child of God has an opportunity, they will be met with opposition. They will. That's what happens when you look different. You will be met with opposition. But if you are insecure, you will be like the Israelite army. You will shrink back instead of stepping into the purpose and calling that God has for you. But that's not, that was not David's story. David stood up when everyone else fell back because he understood how to fight insecurity. So number one, how to fight your insecurity. Check the source of your insecurity. Check the source of your insecurity. So whenever a lie or a doubt or something harsh about yourself or an insecurity comes into your mind, the first thing you can do to fight against it is not to just dismiss it, men, I'm especially talking to you, not just to suppress it and shove it down, but it's to address it and then identify the source of where it's coming from. Where is this coming from? Who is saying this to me? What is informing this thought? 
Before David made it to fight against Goliath and to walk in his calling, I want you to see the opposition that he met. It came from family, it came from authority, it came from his enemy, it came from every which way. Look at this, check the source of your insecurity. In verse 28, so David's like, hey, who is this guy? Let me, let me add him, I'll take him on, what's the reward? And we see in verse 28, but when David's oldest brother, sometimes it'd be your own blood, his oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. And if you're an older sibling, you know what I'm talking about. You know when your little brother just, or sister shows up and you're just annoyed for no reason? You're just like, why are you here? Or if you're the little sibling, you know what it's like for the older sibling to be like, why are you here? That's what's happened in this moment. He was angry. He said, what are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep? I mean, he could have said sheep. He could have said herd. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Well, hold up. God just anointed David in a chapter before this because he said that he was a man after God's own heart. So what does he mean? I know that you're full of pride and deceit, that you just wanna be here to be a part of the action. Go back to your job. But see, sometimes in life, we know that the people close to us can say things to us that cause our biggest insecurities. Just because they are your family, just because they love you, just because they're your close friend, does not mean that they're always gonna say everything right. People are able to say things that can really damage you. But the thing is, is you have an opportunity to believe it and live like it's true or to take it and reject it. Basically what his brother is saying to him here is, hey, what are you doing here? He's assigning motive to David. He's like, get out of here, you don't belong here. And imagine the embarrassment as a little brother who looks up to his big brothers and all the soldiers, imagine the potential embarrassment he must have felt with all the other soldiers hearing him. And he's like, get out of here. You don't belong here. Get back to your few sheep. Felt neglected. I'm sure he felt really insecure, but also what he's calling him is an imposter. He's saying, you don't belong here. And I thought that was interesting because this week I did an Instagram box on my story and I just said, hey, what are some of the biggest things that make you insecure? And one of the top things by far, I'm gonna talk about four of the top things I realized that people said over and over. One of the top things was imposter syndrome. People now, because of social media or because they're living for other people's perception, they're thinking about what other people think of them, it's hard for them in their mind to reconcile what's real and what to show anymore because everyone feels so insecure about who they are. And so they're walking around going, wait, do I even know who I am? Wait, when that person said that thing, is that true? What's true? We can't tell what's true anymore. But for those who know God, for those who have a relationship with Jesus and abide with him daily, you need to know there are people that are gonna come for your motives. There are people gonna come for your intentions and question why you posted what you did. 
or why you won't say a certain thing in the workplace. They're gonna come and say, I know why you did that. You hate gay people. Or I know why you did that. You hate transgender people. Or the church and Christians hate, hate, hate. And they're gonna question your motive. They're gonna question your intention. And if you let the wrong source inform your security, you're gonna back down and not stand up. The next one we see is Saul, tall, dark, and handsome, verse 33. So Saul hears David causing a ruckus, and he's like, what's the reward, what's the reward? And essentially Saul's like, bring him over here. And so David walks over to the king, and here's what the king, the biggest guy on the block, says to him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. The second thing in the question box that I saw people say that they're most insecure by is something in them believes that they're too much. They're too insecure, or they're too loud. They're too annoying. They're too much, insert whatever it is for you, but they believe something, someone said something to them that made them believe they were too much. But then what's funny is Saul then says, there's no way you can beat this man because essentially you're not enough, which was the third thing that people said the most. You had some people believing, I'm so insecure because I believe I'm too much. Then you had a whole other group saying, I'm too insecure because I'm not enough. And that's what he's saying here. Saul's saying, well, hey, don't be ridiculous. Calm down, you're just a boy. You're being too much. But then you also have him saying, you're not enough. You can never beat this guy because you're just a boy. And this guy's been fighting since he was a boy. And there have been people that have told you or you've even told yourself or culture has told you, informed you that you have to look a certain way to be enough. Or maybe because someone's never asked you out or swiped on you or because you're always the person, you're the fifth wheel, All these things point to, well, what must it be? In some way, I'm either too much or I'm not enough. That's why I'm never chosen. Or maybe when you were a kid, you were just being yourself and someone said, hey, chill out. And so ever since then, you just feel like you're being yourself, but you're wondering in the back of your mind, is this too much? And something's taking from you because you're listening to an unreliable source. The last one we see is David's enemy, Goliath. Saul lets him go and he's like, all right, your funeral, if you wanna go, like you can go fight him. And so he sends him down and this is what Goliath says. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at, his ru- at this ruddy faced boy. I'm like, man, they really did him like that in the NLT version. <laughs> he said, am I a dog? He roared at David that you come at me with a stick. Shout out to all my men who have been called a stick, by the way. You were a late bloomer. And I mean, I talked to a lot of guys and I'm like, man, what got, what got you motivated? He's like, to be completely honest, bro, I was a late bloomer. He's like, when everyone else was like hitting their growth spurt, when everyone else was like getting in the gym and it was actually working, it wasn't until 10th grade, 11th grade that I started actually, like I hit my growth spurt. And for those four years, everyone made fun of me. Everyone told me I was little. Everyone told me I would never start. And so I had to work harder than everyone else to prove something. The problem is now they're tall, dark, and handsome and they still think they're a stick because they're trying to fix it themselves. 
they still see themselves as that small junior high boy, which tells me what is the actual solution? They've listened to a non-reliable source. He says here, hey, what am I a dog that you throw a stick in front of me? I personally don't relate to David. I'm not team stick, I'm team thick. I have, <laughs> I've got a lot of love and I always have. And Jenna loves it. And, um, and you know what song I relate to? The all of me loves all of you, loves your curves. That's, that's like, I'm more that. And so mine is the opposite. Mine's like, oh, I'm too big. And so I need to get smaller and then people will take me more serious. Or maybe if I were taller, like that girl, maybe that girl would have liked me back in college. If I were taller, you know, it never fails. I, every week I'm down here and so just save it. I'm gonna answer for all of you this week. Every week I'm down here and someone comes down and they're like so excited. They're like, hey. I'm like, hey, they're like, first time at the porch. I came from out of town or came from this state. He's like, I was introduced to the porch like two months ago and I've like just been binging the porch and like, what'd you say your name was again? And I'm like, JD. They're like, JD, JD. And I'm like, I'm not JP. <laughs> and if you know, you know. But... They're like, yeah, I've been like, I started at the beginning and like I've been listening to all these talks and I thought it was JP. And I'm like, well, it was JP. And like, I thought you'd be taller. And I'm like, I'm not JP. <laughs> and if I wanted to listen, I would be like, you know what? When I drive home, I'm like, I'm not JP. I'm not six foot seven. I'm not as wise as him. I'm not as smooth as him. I'm, seriously, that guy's huge. So you're like, six foot seven? Guy's a giant. But you know what? That's an unreliable source because God doesn't want me to be up here and be JP. He wants me to be JD. And he wants you to be you. He wants you to be you. But the world and people are gonna make stupid comments that make you think I would be better if I were like so-and-so. If I wasn't like this small or if I wasn't this big, if I was just like this, then people would see me and take me seriously, or someone would wanna ask me out. And all these insecurities we let creep in because they're coming from an unreliable source. So number one in how to fight securities, you got to be able to identify and check the source of your insecurity. Where is this lie coming from? Y'all remember citing your source when you wrote papers? It's the worst part. It's like, I'm like typing fire. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta cite this paper. So then honestly, what I do, I go to that like engine where you just like put the link in. <laughs> you know, MLA, APA, Chicago, whatever it might be. It was the worst part. But why was it the most, I mean, teachers would make sure you knew. And if you don't cite your source, automatic fail. You know, you gotta cite your source. Why? Because they wanted to make sure that you understood the importance that what you were researching was reliable. What informed your research, what informed what you were writing about a particular topic, was it reliable? Which website were you not allowed to use? Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Why? 
Because anyone can go in at any time and say what they wanna say, change what they wanna change, edit what they wanna edit, and the problem is, if right now I were to go and cite the sources that inform who you are in a lot of your minds, you're using Wikipedia. You're letting anyone, any day come in, say what they wanna say, edit what they wanna edit, take what you know to be true and replace it with something else, and you're letting an unreliable source determine who you are. You need to check the source. Where is this coming from? And then what do you do with that? Point two of how to fight insecurity. You respond to the lies with truth. So not only is it, you can't just stop acknowledging this is wrong or this is bad. You have to then be willing to change it. You have to be willing to inform yourself of a reliable source. So you have to be able to know truth. Look at how David quickly responds to each of these responses. So his brother, you know what he says? Hey, why are you here? Get out of here. I know your heart. Pride in your seat. Get back to your few sheep. What does he say? Verse 49. What have I done now, you nagging older brother? I was only asking a question. He walked over to some other people and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Basically, he hit him with that, thank you, next. Like he was like, thank you, brother. I'm going to the next people. And he gave him no time. Why? Because he understood this is not a reliable source. And so he went somewhere more reliable. Some of you, you are giving way too much mental attention to people who want no good for you and have nothing good to say. And you need to remove those people's words out of your mind and replace them with what is true. What was the lie presented to David that could have made him insecure in this moment from his brother? He said, hey, get out of here, get back to where you belong. I know your heart, I know your motives. You just wanna be in the action, get back. But what did David know? A man after God's own heart? He said, God looks at my heart. It's only God who knows my heart. God truly is the only one. And so people all day will wanna say what they wanna say about why you do what you wanna do. People might say, hey, you know, you might just generally love fashion. And so you just wanna post. And maybe someone inspired you to wanna get out and post what you're wearing. But you think, well, what if people think my motives is I wanna be some like famous influencer? And so you don't do anything. Or man, maybe you actually just like teaching people about fitness and so you start posting workout videos or you start opening up an opportunity for your coworkers to come to a class, but then you think, well, I wanna come off as that guy. What do people think my motives? And you wanna, like God wants to use you to bring God to the fitness world, but you let unreliable sources and people questioning your motives and perceptions keep you from doing something great for God and using what he's called you to do for his good and his glory. And guess what? I have to think all the time, do people think when I post this that I'm trying to be some celebrity pastor or when I wear this, like I just like these clothes. Honestly, my wife picked these out. Like I'm just trying to be this guy that I'm not. I just, I love people and I love God's word. That's all I'm about. But what do people think? And if I let people questioning my motive rule me, I would do nothing. So I'd rather get up here. I'd rather you get out there and be obedient to God and potentially have some people question your motives than to do nothing for God at all. 
Because when you let people and their potential misperception of you or their words about you or what they think of you dictate what you do for God, it will create paralysis. Where instead of doing something or doing, you just do nothing. And you sit there and go, well, I don't want people to think this. One day you are gonna stand before God and he's gonna ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? And how sad would it be if your response was, well, God, I really wanted to, you know, you saw me, but I just didn't want people to think I was being too much. I didn't want people to think that I was trying to be someone I wasn't. You have to know God knows your heart and God is putting desires and calls and purpose on your life for his glory. No one else's. The second response we see is to Saul. Saul says, hey, you're too little, you're too weak, you're just a boy, there's no way you can take this guy on. He said, hey, Saul, look at verse 34. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He's probably like, <sighs> and Saul's like, okay. <laughs> Take some armor. I'll let you get out there. But why was, it says David persisted. He's like, Saul, Saul, king, if I may, I get why. I get why you would think that looking at me. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you look at me, don't look at the size of these arms or the height of this man. Look at the size of my God and look at his power. But don't just look up, look back. Look back at what he's done in my life. When I was a shepherd boy, he rescued me out of the, the palm of lions and bears. And that God will rescue me today. That was where his security was, your story. Your opportunity to look back and to point people back to who God has been is an opportunity for you. It's a weapon for you to remind people of what God wants to do now. The lie was you can't win the battle of today. The truth that he replaced it with is I can't, but God can because the God who was faithful then will be faithful now. You have a battle every single day. You have a purpose and a calling that God wants you to walk in and you have an opportunity. People are gonna say, are you sure you really wanna start that business? Are you sure you really wanna leave corporate for ministry? Are you really sure that you wanna give up vacation to go on that trip? That sounds crazy. That sounds lesser than. That's a big weight, that's a big challenge. And you get to not let that decide for you or who you are. You get to say, hey, here's the truth. The God who's always been faithful will be faithful. For me, being a husband has brought in a whole new level of insecurities. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, the married man is anxious about pleasing his wife, he meant it. And that's not because anything she's doing. I just, there's something in me as a man that's like, am I doing this right? Is she feel affirmed today? Am I doing all these things right? And then guess what? It's only gonna get more when I become a father. I'm gonna be like, am I being a good husband? Am I being a good dad? Like, what, am I good at this? Am I good at this? Am I enough? Did I sign up for this? What am I doing? And then I think I start to get insecure because I'm like, well, if I had a dad, if he hadn't died seven years ago, if I had a dad, I would still have a model and a person to go to to ask, 
Dad, when you were my age, how did you lead mom? How did you make her feel loved? Or dad, when you had a newborn, how did you raise him? How did you make sure that he would go the right way? Like when you were raising me, how did you do it? And if I had that, then I would be good. Then I would be secure. But that's an unreliable source. That's a lie. Here's the truth. Seven years without my earthly father, I have watched God take that moment and walk with me every single step of the way. And he has provided father figure after father figure and men after men that I can call at the drop of a hat to ask questions and to be there for me. But people, the enemy and myself want to tell me, hey, hey, I don't know if you can do this. And I'm just left with like David, hey, I get why you would think that, but I can't. But if you look, the God who's always been faithful, he will lead me as I lead her and my family. It's the same for you. Whatever your insecurity is, and you're afraid to walk forward, look back. Look back. Place the lie that makes you afraid of the future with the truth of the past and let it inform your next step. The last one, Goliath. Ooh, this is the one. This one gets me hype. We'll, we'll start to close here. Honestly, my little clock that tells me if I'm going over time has been like tweaking out. And so I have no idea how long we've been going. So good luck, guys. <laughs> so Goliath, you know, he was like, who's this stick? And David's like, stick? I'll show you, I'm about to stick this rock up in your, no. That's not, <laughs> that's not what he says. What does he say? Verse 45. David replied to this nine foot giant covered in bronze armor. You come with, to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. I mean, talk about the most epic William Wallace Braveheart looking speech of all time. I read that and I'm like, let's go. I'm so pumped. My name is John David. I'm literally like little David. I'm like, let's go. So I just get it. I just get it. The truth here is he's like, you know what, Goliath? Pretty much I am a stick. Like I pretty much am just dust. Like I was literally made from dirt. But again, the God who's been faithful, he's the God who will claim victory today. He's present today. He is the victor. And I think, like I said earlier, where we get it so wrong with insecurities is we try self-help and we try just doing more and being more active and being more successful. And we think that we are the solution to our insecurity, that we can find security in anything else other than God. But what David understood, what informed this moment, the truth that informed him that when he was met with a lie, the truth he said is God 
is the victor. Today and in this moment, and he is for you. That it's God who fights my battles. That it's God in whom I trust. It's God who gives me security and strength. And you, Goliath, you put your trust in that weapon in your hand, in that armor that you're wearing. But I don't have any of that. I have the only true thing that will bring security. In the face of opposition, insecurity, giants, fear, and death, he says, the only thing I trust is my God. And today he will have victory. Now, obviously, obviously, David could not see. I'm sure he's like, and he will win, right, God? Like, okay. That's what he's probably like. I mean, obviously he couldn't see the end result, but he was so secure in who God was. He had heard of the God who split seas. He had heard of the God who had already beaten opposing armies. And he's like, God will fight my battle. That is where security comes from. And when you look and you get the right source to inform your beliefs of who you are, and when you understand how to differentiate between lies and truth, everything will change about who you are in light of who God is. And so here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go in today, in your battles, in your insecurity. Here's the place that you go to find security. God's word, God's spirit, God's people. God's word, God's spirit, God's people. Now remember, when you go to God's people, people will let you down. People will sometimes fail you because they are sinful too and they need grace just like you do. And so don't just go to any person, go to God's person in your life who is submitted to his spirit and his word. That when you go to them, they don't say, well, here's what I would do or hey, just if that makes you happy, do it. Go to people that will say to you, Hey, have you prayed about it and sought the spirit of God to give you discernment to make that decision or to inform that belief in your life? Or two, hey, it sounds like you're insecure about that. What does God's word say about that? And we'll take you to his word. But that means that we have to know his word. We have to be in tune with his spirit to be able to identify others who are as well. That's my challenge to you. It's really simple. In the face of insecurity, your reliable source, run to God's word, his spirit, and his people. And together with all those things, your surrendered heart and their commitment to lead you to his spirit and his people, you differentiate the lies and you replace them with truth. I'll close with this. Finally, my biggest insecurity, basketball. Now, I don't know why, but God just chose to surround me by a bunch of guy friends who love basketball and like played college basketball. And so I was typically the guy for a long time that it's like, what are we gonna do today? And everyone's like, pick up basketball. And I'm like, yeah, I think I gotta work on this project or I think I gotta go wash my fish, or, you know, whatever. And <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna make it. I'm just caught a stomach bug. I gotta get out of here. And the reason why is because I was definitely suppressing this like, 
I like to see people do what I'm good at and that ain't it. Like, keep me off the court. And I'm like, you don't want me on the court. And it would always be like, JD, why? Like, come on, man. Like, it's fun. It's just for fun. I'm like, no, you guys don't do nothing just for fun. Trust me. I'm not gonna be the last pick like I was in junior high. So I would leave and leave and leave. And finally, last summer, I had some extra time and I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. I was like, it's time to get in the lab. And you know what it took? I'm like, bring up the goal. I'm kidding. But here's the thing. In order to do that, I had to go to a really vulnerable place. Uh, Truly, it sounds so small, but I did. I had to call my friend who played college basketball and I had to say, hey, can you teach me how to play? He's like, yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm like, okay, I don't really have shoes or anything. I just walked up to my like ultra boost and you know, I get in there and he's like, okay, and I'm this guy. You know, I'm that guy. Ugh, I just hate this guy. I'm feeling really vulnerable right now. I don't want to look at myself. And he's like, okay. And he was patient with me. He's like, all right, elbow in, knees bent, just a little. I'm like, you know, it's like a little, little much. And he's like, catch, shoot, and y'all know, follow through, hand in the cookie jar. And so I'm like, okay. So I'm like, you know, every time it's so at first, so mechanical, I'm like, knees bent, elbows in, catch, shoot, follow through. You know, I'm just like over and over. But eventually the ball started to go in the hoop. And I was like, I don't wanna know how to like do a layup. I just wanna know how to make a three. Cause I mean, yeah, tall guys can dunk, but that gets you two. I wanna get three. And so, I mean, I'm out here daily that summer at the three-point line over and over and over. And by the end of the summer, I was like, come on. And I'm like, hey, what's everyone doing this Saturday? <laughs> like, y'all trying to ball? And then I even said, yo, Jenna, I want you to come watch me. <laughs> That's how you know you got confidence. And so she came. She's on the sideline. I mean, I am ready. And I'm thinking, bend knees, elbows in, catch, shoot, follow through, do it. You've worked on this, you know, all those times of preparation. No one saw, no one saw. You walked with your boy. It's time to let them see. This is your moment. And I get the ball. And I mean, I am alone. I hear, shoot it, Jay. I shoot buckets. I mean, buckets. And I mean, over and over, the buckets came. Sure, I missed some, but the point is, I got off the sideline and I got in the game and joy was on the other end. Victory was on the other end. So many of you, you're like the Israelites on the sidelines of life. And there's an opponent, that insecurity that's holding you back. And it's, taunting you and you know God wants more for you. You know that secret sin that you won't confess is keeping you on the sidelines of your life and you're insecure that you're still struggling with porn. You've confessed it to your community for six years and you still went back. No way I could lead the community group next year. No way I could lead a Bible study. Or man, no one's asked me out for years. 
If no one wants to choose me, why would God? Why would God want me to do something great? Why would God want me in the game? But just like that day, I had to call my friend and I had to say, hey, this sounds really stupid, but I'm really insecure about this. I'm asking you to call the friend, meet with the friend tonight and say, this might sound dumb, but I'm really insecure about this and it's keeping me on the sidelines and I wanna get in the game. I wanna experience the victory that's on the other side of vulnerability. And if you will be vulnerable, if you will say it out loud, stop suppressing, start addressing, bring it out to your friends, You'll say, hey, I've been listening and operating out of unreliable sources. I want your help in replacing bad practice and all these lies and inform them with truth so I can be free to get in the game. Will you help me? And if you'll start to walk with them, you'll start to see that security is not found in anything that you can do or change. It's simply found by operating and being with God's people in the life that God has for you. Enjoy Freedom, victory is on the other side because security is not found in ourselves. Security is found in who we are in light of who he is. And when you understand who he is, it'll inform everything about who you are and who you are not, and it will change everything. But you've got to be willing to address it, bring it out in the light, and walk with God's word God's spirit, and God's people. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this message. Honestly, I'm feeling insecure right now because I have no idea how long I just went. And you do. And for anyone checked out, would you bring them into this moment right here? Would you remind them that the thing that they may not even have known at this point because they've just suppressed it and said they're fine for so long, would you remind them of what's true? That you love them, that you love them so much that sure, David had some rocks and a sling. Sure, Moses had a staff that splitted the sea. Sure, Gideon had the God of angel armies on his side, but you've given us something so much better. You've given us your one and only son. And because he came down and lived a perfect life and because he paid the death on the cross that we deserved and he took every insecurity, every lie, every addiction and he hung on the cross and then he didn't just leave it there, he buried it in the grave, but he rose again in a new life, victorious and conquered sin once and for all. We now can live a new life off the sidelines and into freedom, into victory. Not because of anything that we are, but all because of who God is, because of who you are, because of what your blood has purchased and it's us. And so for the person tonight who has not received the gift that is you, who does not feel secure in your love, would that change tonight? Would they understand that you bought them with a price and you're never going back, you went all in. You love them, you cherish them, and you want them. You want a life free in the game. So would you help people tonight take a step off the sideline into an obedient life with you, may it be. For your glory, name that I pray, amen.